I have found out beat news in depth for you. Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, I hope your Christmas holiday is going well, and I'm really glad that you're with us tonight as we share highlights from this year's Matthew Shepard Foundation Gala held in October this last year in Denver, Colorado. We'll begin talking with singer-songwriter Matt Alber, who gave two performances over that weekend. He'll share a special song of the season with us tonight as well. Later in the show, you'll hear from actor and comedian Sean Hayes, who was honored by the Foundation that night, and of course, from the always inspiring Judy Shepard, the mother of Matthew Shepard, who after 18 years continues to be a strong voice and advocate for the LGBT community. Now, instead of the news segment this week, I'd like to share some special music from the acapella group Pentatonix as a tribute to Leonard Cohen, who passed away this last month. Here's their version of Hallelujah. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, baby, I 
That was Pentatonix with their version of Hallelujah, composed by the late and amazing Leonard Cohen. Well, each year the Matthew Shepard Foundation comes together to celebrate the life and legacy of Matthew Shepard, the then 21-year-old gay man who was brutally murdered 18 years ago in Laramie, Wyoming. And over the years, the sorrow and the mourning has been transformed into a celebration of the change that Matt's story and his life have inspired. One of the performers at this year's gala held in Denver, Colorado this last October was singer-songwriter Matt Alber. Matt, Merry Christmas, and welcome to the show. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Well, we met after the Matthew Shepard Foundation annual gala, uh, but let's start out telling us a little bit about how Matt's story impacted your life. Um, I first heard Matt's name uh, the day the news broke about his attack. Uh, I was, I think I was 23 and I had just moved to San Francisco from the Midwest. Um, so I was just sort of discovering what it was like to feel normal walking around uh, as a gay man mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And it felt amazing. You know, I had had uh, just a couple of months there. Um, you know, it was a little overwhelming, uh, a kid from Kansas mm-hmm. <laughs> landing on San Francisco. A little uh, culture shock. It was in some of the best ways, uh, actually. And... Um, I had just been hired to sing in a wonderful singing group called Chanticleer. Um, And my friend, uh, my now friend, my then boss, Craig Hella Johnson, um, uh, was the director of the group. And I remember the news broke that morning and I felt stunned very much the same feeling when the Twin Towers uh, fell. Mm. And I remember walking to work. And um, Craig was the first person I told, my boss. And we stood there, and we were rehearsing in a church, and we just stood there uh, looking at each other, and we couldn't, we couldn't believe the news. Um, and I think it was in that moment, it hit me, I just looked at him, I said, you know, his name was Matt. And we both just sort of um, wept together mm-hmm. for the loss of a guy we didn't even know, you know. Wow, 18 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long because it seems in many ways like it was just yesterday. It really, I can, I can remember that moment quite vividly. 
it was it was a wake up call to both of us that there is a lot of work to do in the world um, to explain who we are uh, or who I am. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you grew up in a pretty conservative religious family. I remember you talking a lot about that. Uh, how did that impact your ability to come out? Um, it presented some challenges. <laughs> uh, I, we, we actually, our, our family never went to church. Um, we started going to church, uh, it wasn't until I was in high school. Uh, my family went through a divorce, and um, I think my mom thought it would bring us some stability if we mm-hmm. went to church. And I think she probably needed some support herself for all the things she was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a good experience for her in many ways. Um, and f- in many ways it was for me too. I found a youth group and, um, yeah, as kind of a weirdo kid that was a choir geek, it was kind of nice to have a built-in group of people that were supposed to like you. So I went every week and when they found out I could sing, uh, they started, put, you know, asking me to sing in church. Um, and I was shown a lot of, you know, affection and, uh, you know, positive reinforcement. They're like, wow, you know, you really have a talent. And they started sort of grooming me for the idea that, you know, I think, you know, they told me God is calling you to the ministry. Mm. And that's a very powerful thing to hear when you're 15. Uh, that, sure. <laughs> and it, in many ways, I, I felt like that was true. I think the kind of ministry they had in mind isn't quite uh, what it's turned out to be. <laughs> uh, uh, for, for several years, basically all of high school, I, I, I bought hook, line, and sinker what they taught, um, and much of it was was good. To be honest, uh, they were teaching you know to not to lie to people, to treat people with uh, you know to tell the truth, to be a good son and uh, friend. The problem was that there was a whole slew of bad stuff that went along with that, um, and I, f- I found that out. I remember being shocked the day I heard my first anti-gay sermon because I had been in the youth group for. Um, maybe a whole semester of school. And I, you know, just like ignorance is bliss, I guess you're right. I, I, I remember sitting in that feeling that moment. I was like, oh, they're talking about me. Right. Um, and that's, and that's when the terror sort of began. Um, I believed what they said. I believed that, um, you know, it always felt wrong to be gay because I learned that way before I got to church that that wasn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. So, the, the teaching was really, it's really interesting how it works because it plays upon an existing guilt and shame and then gives a reason for it. Um, and I believe the reason, unfortunately, and it took several years, uh, maybe even to this day, to still shed that belief. Wow. Wow. So did, did you find that music provided you with an outlet to be able to sort of grapple with that fear and shame? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, going to high school um, as a you know a little choir geek. I loved choir. Um, I loved every kind of choir. Choir was the only place I felt normal, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a choir that was outside of school. It was an extracurricular choir called the St. Louis Children's Choirs, and music was a place that I could let my spirit fly. Um, it didn't matter if you were cool or not. It just mattered if you were a good, good in the choir. If you were, if you showed up and worked hard, then you were respected. Um, and yeah, I started writing songs even in high school. My first songs were praise songs. Um, I led the worship, the worship team 
after college, I went on to join a mega church that had, you know, a live band and big video screens and sort of this very kind of progressive modern way of doing church. Um, what wasn't progressive or modern was the doctrine behind um, whether or not, you know, gay people were moral people. Um, so uh, it took me a long time to realize this world doesn't want me there. Um, I'm not really welcome here unless I'm willing to renounce who I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully, I decided that was the right choice uh, to leave, uh, not to renounce who I am, but to rather accept it and, right. and say, look, uh, I think life's going to be way better if I just say this is who I am and let's start again. A lot of kids don't get that. Uh, choice. They, don't, they don't really make it that far, unfortunately. Right, right. Well, and we've talked, I don't know, several times on this show, uh, talking with different affirming religious leaders uh, about their different different interpretations of faith and about how to reconcile faith with who you are. I mean, I think it becomes a real struggle. Many people are born into a faith and then later on discover their non-heterosexuality or gender identity and then are faced with a choice of either you know, renouncing who they are or renouncing their faith and abandoning it altogether. And I've always felt that's tragic. Give some advice to folks, particularly our young listeners who may find themselves in that position. How do you reconcile? Oh, man. Um, you know, I began the process by, you know, my first, the first thing that felt wrong inside me. I said, well, they said God said this, and that doesn't feel right. What do I do with that? And thankfully, other people have asked that question. <laughs> um, and I found, um, I found some stories uh, that really helped me. The first story I read was a, a book by, um, it's called Stranger at the Gate, and it's by a, a man named Mel White. And Mel tells a story about um, growing up in the same world I did. He went a little further, though. He found a wife and decided to have children and made a family. And it wasn't until after he tried all of that that he said, you know, I've tried it all and I'm still gay. So he, he came out. But Mel was kind of a, a rather interesting guy. He was an incredible writer and producer, and um, he worked with some pretty big names in um, Christian faith. Uh, you know, he wrote Pat Robertson's autobiography. He wrote Jerry Falwell's autobiography. He he was friends with all these guys that were sort of preaching a very you know extreme doctrine, and he made it his life's mission to say, "Hey, Jerry. Hey, Pat. Hey, Christian Wright." Listen, I respect your right to believe whatever you want to believe. It's a free country, but the things you're teaching are really hurting people. Mm -hmm. um, and here's how, here's the effects. Um, so I joined Mel and we went and met Jerry Falwell um, one fall day. We brought 200 of us and we met 200 of his, his uh, students and we had a summit. Wow. He said, hey, you know, you're preaching about gay people. We thought you might want to meet some. Um, and we told our stories, and it was a powerful day, man. I bet. Yeah. Um, we went to church, at Jerry's church that Sunday, and he had us stand and recognized us. And, um, you know, he didn't go on to stop preaching that, unfortunately. Um, but I felt like, hey, this is the kind of work that needs to be done. We have to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Took a lot of guts. On both sides, yeah. actually. Jerry, Jerry Falwell and his church were protested by Fred Phelps, um, the fellow who uh, likes to bring out his family and children and held up those terrible signs. And we thought they were protesting us. <laughs> they were protesting Jerry for meeting with us, um, those sinners, you know. Um, 
it does take a lot of guts to to, to put beliefs down and to value each other more. Mm-hmm. Well, and the good news is that there are more and more affirming churches and more and more affirming interpretations of various faiths that are welcoming LGBT people. And so, you know, hopefully on a day like today, people will be thinking about that and, you know, looking for ways to release the struggle that they've had. Let's get back to your musical career for a second. Talk about a couple of the high points for you. What, what's really stood out so far in your career? Oh, gosh. It it stands out to me that I can even do this as a job. <laughs> um, I started writing songs um, about relationships I was in. Uh, and, you know, I... I bought a computer and some microphones and hired a friend to show me how to plug them all in and started banging my head against the equipment. Um, you know, in a couple of years I had my first record with a lot of help and, um, you know, that was in 2005. So, uh, you know, it's been a, about a 10 year journey now. And now my full-time job is taking my guitar on plane and trains and automobiles and singing my gay love songs for, whoever will listen. So the entire thing's a high point <laughs> to me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Getting to do what you're really passionate about. I mean, that's that's a real gift. It really is. I, I owe it to anyone who's ever bought a ticket or a record. So awesome. And you've got a song for the season uh, that's pretty special to you. Tell us about it before we listen. Well, sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of a band called The Roaches. Um, it's Three Sisters. Um, with the last name Roach. And uh, they released a song. Terry Roach wrote it. Um, it's called Star of Wonder. Um, it's not the hymn. It's a different song. And it takes a, a twist on the star in the sky story. And uh, I fell in love with it and wrote to Terry. I said, hey, Terry, you know, can I can I cover your song? And, um, you know, and if anybody wants to buy it, can we, you know, can we donate the proceeds to... Um, benefit you know young people who are trying to find their way off the street and she wrote right back and said yes please please uh feel free to cover it so it's you know it's called star of wonder Make her leave her flock 
For surely she must love them still Star of wonder in the heavens Are you just a shining star? Or should I follow you? Star of wonder, star of Amazing song. Absolutely amazing, Matt. Uh, tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your music. Oh, well, yeah, you can just find me on the web at Matt Alber. That's M-A-T-T-A-L-B-E-R.com. Great. And if you missed that link, we'll have it on our own website at OutBeatNews.com. You can just click there and take a listen to Matt's amazing music. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Matt. Happy New Year. And thanks so much for being with us. Right back at you, Craig. I'm here in Denver, Colorado at the 2016 Matthew Shepard Foundation Annual Gala. I'm surrounded by about 400 guests. We've all just finished dinner, and we're about to hear from one of tonight's honorees, actor and comedian Sean Hayes. Yes. On logo, every two minutes. Literally. The joke was I haven't heard that song for at least two minutes. So um, anyway, this is, this is incredible. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you for inviting me, Dennis and Judy Shepard. Um, this is quite an honor. I am so proud to share this moment with all of you, including my amazing husband, Scott Eisenogel, and my great, yes, amazing. I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for him. And also my great friend of many, many years, who's also my agent, whose name is also Scott Henderson. So. And, and to all the Scots tonight, thank you very much. The room, this room is beautiful. The altitude's doing wondrous things for my sinuses. The Broncos are undefeated. Yes. I'm told. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of you, a lot of you may be sitting there thinking, why Sean Hayes? Why did he get chosen to receive this award tonight? I thought you had to do something amazing to get an award. Well, I didn't do anything amazing. I did something extraordinary. I took Southwest Airlines to get here. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Group B, okay? Not even Group A. All right, seriously. So, 
I don't know. That's what I do. I come up and I be loud. Now, when I got the word that I'd been chosen as this year's recipient of the Making a Difference Award, it actually made me pretty nervous. I feared that I may uh, not be deserving of such an honor, especially when you look at it in terms of Matthew. Will and Grace was on the air for about one month before Matthew was taken from us. I was very consumed by what happened. I didn't miss a minute of the coverage. I was devastated by the hate crime that had been committed onto Matt. And at that time, I was a young closeted actor having his first small taste of real success. And unfortunately, in my mind, my lucky break was inextricably tied to my thinking that I had to stay in the closet in order for all of it to keep moving forward. Different time, diff much different time. And looking back at my choice to stay silent, I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed. What was I thinking? You know, as if any of you had any doubt about my reality. I mean, <laughs> could, could a straight actor ever do this? If I could turn that down! <laughs> So, wow, 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 till the day I die, till the day I die. So when it comes to nights like tonight and honors like this, I'm consumed with, uh, with what I didn't do. I know I should have come out sooner and I'm sorry for that, especially when I think about the possibility that I might have made a difference in someone's life. I would probably be able to sleep a lot better than I do if I had acted sooner, but such is life. We learn our lessons only when we're ready. I didn't learn to make a difference until later in my life. Hopefully life is as much about what we do after we learn those lessons. But I take great solace in the fact that when I was not doing everything I could, you all were. And who are you? You are the great men and women here tonight in support of this magnificent and important philanthropy, the Matthew Shepard Foundation. So, so many of the people in this room stood up and set an example when I couldn't. And by watching people like you make a difference, you taught me how to make a difference. So there's some irony in my receiving this award tonight when you consider the timing of my journey. Today I stand before you a proud gay man and I humbly accept this award on behalf of all of us because this award is as much mine as it is yours. So, yeah. Congratulations to all of you for making a difference because every time you stood up for Matthew's legacy, you have knocked another brick off the walls of hatred and bigotry and prejudice. You were and are helping to tear down that wall. I believe if you keep doing what you, you're doing, I will continue to keep doing what I'm doing, which is making quirky Facebook videos with my husband, Scotty, <laughs> showing, showing everyone that two husbands can act as silly as a husband and wife do, right? <laughs> publicly, publicly celebrating Scotty's and, and his birthday and our anniversary and walking hand in hand down the red carpet, having strong representations of gay characters through projects that I or my company creates anything that forces the world to learn, understand, and accept the normalcy of love and respect. So, yeah. Together, we will have done something amazing with our lives, and we will all have made a difference. So thank you. God bless to you. God bless to you, Judy and Dennis. I'm extremely grateful and humble, and I look a little older, which is sad. So thank you. And coming to the podium next is the executive director of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Jason Marsden. Thank you all. Everybody having a good time? 
I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, we all want to welcome you up here. We're so grateful that you attend this event every year and, and provide your voice in support of human dignity and diversity, and you continue to provide the support that we rely on so that we can do our work to erase hate. We are together tonight back in this room. Who was here back when we were in this room last? Anyone? You were there. Fifteenth time we've done this to honor people who have shared their stories and their passion and their wit and their intellect to advance the task we share, inspiring others to create a world without hatred. We ask people to erase hate, and it, it's a useful way of describing the task, it, to remove hatred from our lives entirely. But hatred is not this stray pencil mark you can just easily rub away. In this increasingly polarized and contentious climate, hatred seems to me more like a mountain, some angry, colossus that rose up in our path, this mountain of hatred and incivility and discrimination and bigotry it's standing in all of our way, we cannot just leave it to slowly erode. It by itself, it's not going to just get better. And time is not our friend. Our time together is so short. Our young people get one childhood, one, now. If we're going to give them one that lives up to our values, we have to do that now. Victims of bullying are losing hope every day. Parents are dying by the hour unreconciled to their LGBTQ kids. Every 90 minutes a reported hate crime takes place in this country and so do another estimated 2,700 unreported ones. This work can't wait. Last year, we celebrated how far our equality had advanced. Our adversaries noticed, and they proved effective at exploiting fear and ignorance about who and, and what we are. They've cynically exploited our nation's proud heritage of religious freedom and diversity in order to justify the pettiest forms of discrimination. They've overruled and disempowered cities in their own states for daring to pass landmark civil rights protections. They've cruelly targeted and ridiculed transgender Americans, ordering them into the wrong restrooms and endangering their lives. And then on July 12th in Orlando, Florida, our community suffered a blow like it has never suffered before. The attacks at Pulse nightclub, I dare say, left all of us thunderstruck. 49 precious lives destroyed wantonly. Countless others shattered or diverted forever. We suffered the deadliest mass shooting in the history of this country right there in one of our community's safe places that was full of young people celebrating together what so many of us have been denied for so long, their joy. Pulse and Orlando are words that will join Stonewall and Laramie and Selma and Jasper on a roster of injustices we would like to bring to an end. But it was more than just a mass murder. It was an attack on 
our community's soul on its ability to feel hope. So, how do you respond to this kind of hatred? We believe you follow Dennis and Judy's example. We believe you seize every opportunity to stop these tragedies from ever wounding another family, another city, and another generation. And then we get up and we go out every day looking for our personal chance to make a difference. We respond to cruelty with kindness and not escalation. We answer anger with patience and with resolve. We do that by participating in not tearing down our public discourse. And then we keep on doing it. After their unspeakable loss, the shepherds answered the public's call. They worked to craft laws to contain and repair the damage that hate crimes are doing to our country. But while successful, passing the laws is not the goal. Because while we now have tools to deliver justice in these cases, we don't yet have those tools in the hands of everybody who's victimized or all of those who are sworn to protect them. The foundation has distinguished itself this year in our work with lawmakers, with police, with fellow minority communities, urging all of us together to rededicate ourselves to stopping bias-motivated violence. We've reached out through local coalitions to some of the two-thirds of hate crime victims who never report their crimes. We've conducted academic research exploring why one in five police departments don't provide any reports from their jurisdictions and why even more of them submit faulty data. We put a spotlight on the dozens of states that lack hate crime laws altogether or omit our community from their protections. And we've trained police and prosecutors all over the country on how to investigate and solve these crimes and we believe prevent them. Hate crimes can only be stopped if we understand where and when and why they occur. Consider this. In a little more than a year, the FBI will release the 2016 hate crimes report. Those 49 homicides in Orlando are probably not going to be on that list. I spoke to the director of the LGBT Center in Orlando last month. Uh, he reported to colleagues there that there's no doubt whatsoever in his community that the attack on Pulse was targeted out of hatred, but the attacker's dead, and the evidence he left behind was thin and vague. And so one Friday uh, this summer, the FBI quietly announced that it wasn't going to conclusively label that attack either a hate crime or an authentic terrorist attack. What our common sense tells us, our legal system sometimes dispels, but this is why this foundation is still so necessary. We once again have this moment that is crying out for our voice to help teach our kids and one another how corrosive and destructive hatred is and that we have to embrace diversity. We have to value other people's lives enough to protect them from these known dangers. And hate crimes are rising alarmingly this year for Hispanic people, for Muslim people, for Jewish people. We're all part of the same struggle and we're all looking for the same solution. 
And we've come a very long way since that night in Laramie 18 years ago. And this organization and its founders have taken a message of love and hope worldwide. We're leading the emergence of conversations about equal rights in schools, in workplaces, in our courthouses, our police stations, embassies and consulates abroad. And what we're doing is we're giving people who maybe felt like they never fit in anywhere a voice. That's what this foundation does. We get on with it. We stick to it. We persevere. And we're going to go over that mountain of hatred, or we're going to go under it, or we're going to go around it, or we're going to tunnel straight through it, as long as it's going forward. We, um, thank you. We have a lot of trailblazers who, who are ahead of us on this path whom we honor, and they left a course mapped out for us. And if we follow through, we're going to ease the journey of those who are yet to come, future activists and members of this community, people whom we hope will know us as a memory from a time when people did what needed to be done. And tonight, we're those people. And tonight, we're going to help earn our reputation. Thank you very much. The next honoree is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and a member of the Washington Post editorial board, Jonathan Capehart. Um, I had to pull out my handkerchief because I didn't expect to be um, this emotional. Just like a good mom, Judy came up and saved me from myself. Um, Judy and Dennis, thank you so much. And Sean? Wonderful to finally meet you after having you in my home for all these years. Uh, and to your, your wonderful husband, Scott, and your um, wonderful hu uh, work husband, Scott. Um, Judy and Dennis, I cannot tell you how honored I was when you asked me, I think it was last year, if I would accept this award. And I cannot tell you how honored I am to be standing right here tonight, accepting, receiving a Making a Difference Award, but I think you get that, given how my eyes are sparkling because of the tears that are in them, excuse me. No, 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 they're tears. I don't need to cover that. Making a Difference. That's a phrase I associate with philanthropists and volunteers who give of their money and free time to help people and communities achieve their dreams, fulfill their potential. I never thought it would apply to me, a guy who just writes about what he sees. I saw myself in James Byrd, the black man who was murdered by white supremacists on June 7, 1998, a murder that shocked the nation. Of course, I saw myself in Matthew Shepard, whose murder on October 12, 1998, shock the nation. As an openly gay man, and obviously an African-American man, I bring my entire self to my writing. And in doing so, I try my best to humanize my two identities for those who don't know or don't understand either by giving sometimes deeply personal takes on the separate but concurrent national conversations on race and LGBT issues. The goals for each are the same, compassion, empathy, understanding, civility. 
We are a better nation when we understand that an epidemic that wiped out a generation of gay men is a national emergency. That the murder of a young man on a lonely stretch of prairie is a hate crime that demands justice. That the television characters who make us laugh and think are also shining a light on the unfamiliar and unknown. That the journey of a transgender man or transgender woman is more than the insanity of these bathroom bills. That so-called religious freedom laws that so-called religious freedom laws are just another way to disrespect and discriminate against same-sex married couples and other lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. We are a better nation when our compassion and empathy opens our hearts to understand why unheralded but fed-up people put their lives on the line to sue for their basic civil rights or protest those that are violated. We're a better nation when we can look in the eye that family member or coworker or neighbor who doesn't quite get it and argue for ourselves and our humanity and do so with the civility that brings people along, that brings people in, not shut them down or shut them out. That's what I strive to do with every column and every television appearance. That it is my job as a journalist to say exactly what I think is an enormous privilege and responsibility and I feel duty-bound to speak the truth and to correct the record when I get it wrong. One of the reasons folks don't trust the press, I think, is because we in the media rarely acknowledge our mistakes or bother to correct them. It also doesn't help that we, as news consumers, only gravitate to media or sources that reinforce our point of view. We must break that habit, and by we, I mean all Americans. We have to break out of our ideological and partisan silos to hear what those who don't share our worldview are saying. And we must do this to not only find the weaknesses in their argument, but to also find those areas of agreement and foster greater understanding and advancement. This is how we will succeed against so-called religious freedom laws, in securing criminal justice reform, in moving on comprehensive immigration reform, and yes, in doing everything possible to ensure that the next president of the United States is someone who will appoint justices to the Supreme Court who will protect everything that's been gained. So, Matthew Shepard Foundation, Judy and, uh, Judy, yes, Judy and Dennis Shepard. Um, and I want to throw in Joe Salmonese, who the three of you together worked so very hard to get the Matthew Shepard James Byrd Hate Crimes Prevention Act not only through the Congress, passed through the Congress, but signed into law by President Obama. Thank you so much for that. And thank you very much, really. Judy, Dennis, thank you so much for this award. It is just the encouragement I need to keep being my authentic self, to keep telling our stories, to keep making a difference. Thank you. If you're just joining us on this Christmas Day, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. 
And I am sharing highlights with you tonight from the 2016 Matthew Shepard Foundation Honors Event. Coming up to the podium next is the founder of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Judy Shepard. Hey everyone, thank you. Please, thank you very much. Am I done now? Um, thank you. I appreciate that very much. You're all very kind and uh, and generous to us every year when you come and and uh, and spend some time with us. Uh, if you've been here before, you know that my process is not to write down my remarks before I come because I want to feel inspired by the spirit in the room when I get up here. I want to talk to you in a conversation. Um, my remarks are never as brilliant as Jason's, but they're probably a little more emotional. I, uh, I want to reiterate what Jason said about this uh, past several months have been pretty contentious. The rise in hate crimes, I think I would contribute to the uh, incivility of what's going on in our political scene these past few months. Um, we know school children are frightened by what they see on TV. We know they've been targeting each other now at school because of what they've heard or what they've seen uh, on TV or on the papers or hear other people saying on the streets, which, you know, just a few years ago, people are saying things now to each other and about each other that they, they might have thought, but they never, ever would have said in public discourse. And now it's, it's everywhere. And I feel I'm kind of disappointed in the American people because I feel like there's this, um, there's this acronym, SIC, and I kind of feel like we have gone there now, the silent, indifferent, complacent, silent majority who understand, oh, we just don't, we think that's terrible, but what can you really do about it? They're gonna say whatever they wanna say. They're gonna do whatever they wanna do. We can't really stop them. The problem is that they are like this big and we are like this big. So we need to stop being silent, indifferent, and complacent and go, what are we doing? I mean, aren't you all just scared to death? I am scared to death. I am worried that all the progress we've made in learning how to treat each other and be kind and be polite, even if in our hearts we don't feel it, we know that a socially acceptable situation, this is how you behave. This is how you're a grown-up, this is how you are a civilized person, and this is, the, this is the role model we want for our children to see and for people who come visit us to see. We don't want to be the ugly Americans. I'm tired of being known as the ugly American, even if I don't like, think I am, just because I'm an American. This is, we have an opportunity now to send a message that will be heard around the world. And folks, it's gonna start in this room and it's gonna start in Colorado. Wyoming is like a lost cause, but y'all can do a lot here. <laughs> so, you know, just a little history about Wyoming for those of you who don't know anything about it. And I imagine there's a lot of you. Um, Wyoming is the eighth largest state in the union, but the lowest in population. We have 500,000 people in the state. We have more antelope than people. <laughs> now, it's very Republican. When the polls close at seven o'clock, one second after that, the state is scarlet. There is never a question. 
In the election of 2012, Jackson, Teton County had some lavender, but the rest of it was very red. So we have a very small legislature, as you can imagine, because we don't have a lot of people. They're definitely absolutely majority Republican. And this particular election cycle, our more liberal Republicans, if you can even put those two words together, were defeated in the primary. So we're in trouble. And when Dennis and I leave, I'm sure you have no problem thinking that, knowing that we are Democrats. When we leave Wyoming, the Democratic Party's going, y'all are coming back, right? <laughs> Yes, we will be back. Yes. We're not particularly vocal because we don't really have a, uh, a platform there. We speak our minds. There, we have no trouble doing that. But as far as making a, making a difference, it just, doesn't really, it just doesn't really happen there. So we've never really been um, consistent in involving ourselves in politics in Wyoming. We have taken more of a national view, um, given that our focus has been the hate crime legislation and trying to wake up America to the fact that we can make a change, all we really need to do is talk about it. We need to talk about it. Now, in the last, thank you. In the last um, 18 years, one of the things I think that has been really wonderful is that we now have these issues in a public forum. Always before, it was the love whose name shall never be spoken. And now, people are talking about it all the time. Whether it's good or bad, they're still talking about it. Uh, theater, the Laramie Project, um, the wonderful musical piece that we heard earlier, all kinds of things that you can't even imagine that now are not just about Matt and not just about the LGBT community, but about all kinds of folks who feel marginalized, whether it's based on race or religion or uh, immigration status, heritage, whatever, socioeconomic status even. This is about accepting one another as human beings with the same goals and the same aspirations that everybody share to love and be loved in return, to feel safe and secure in your job and your home. And I am so fearful that if we go forward without using our voices, that is the world we will be living in. Even, even if at the very top of the ticket, Mr. Trump is not elected, I fear that the bottle has been opened. And we will never be able to push that, well, never's a long time. It's going to take us a while to push it back into the bottle because people now feel um, empowered to use those kinds of language, use that kind of language and behave in that way. And it's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. We have to stop just, just letting it happen. We have to figure out a way to use our voices, whether it's in print or uh, in TV or the social media or just our neighbors and friends and family. We've got to stop just thinking it's going to go away on its own, because it isn't. Even if the top of the ticket fails, there is so much damage done now that it's going to be a while to recover. Um, I remember when Obama was inaugurated in 2008 after having spent many very discouraging years in D.C., right, Joe? Uh, that it was, we went to the inauguration, it was, I was with Logan, and it was like, can't you just feel how different it is here now? like the clouds have parted and we have light in our future. And before it was just so dreary for us, for the LGBT community. And look how much we've achieved. And we achieved it because we used our voices to elect a man who we knew would fix it because he understood it. 
Okay, y'all. Who was the logical successor to that? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Well, there may have been a lot of good successors, but we have one now who's terribly qualified and she can do the job. Well, I'm not gonna say she's the best politician in the world, but you know, if, I'm, if I want a pilot flying my plane, I want a pilot flying my plane. <laughs> not the mechanic that spends all his time smoking and drinking. So, the message I want to leave you with tonight, the message I want to leave you with tonight is, you know that those ballots don't get cast on their own. You all have to vote. You have to vote. Take your family to vote. Take your friends to vote. See what you can do to help get other people to the polls. Uh, absentee ballots. Vote early. Do everything you can to encourage, encourage everyone you know to vote. And remind them that there is more to the voting than just the top of the ticket. Because if we don't send senators and congressmen to support Hillary, we're going to be in the same mire that we are right now. You've been listening to highlights from this year's Matthew Shepard Foundation Gala held this last year in Colorado. We're going to wrap up tonight's show with another very special song dedicated to those who lost their lives in Orlando this year. This is Eli Lieb with his original song, Pulse. So you say this is human Your heartbeat versus mine I'm in chains cause I'm choosing Showing love for living life I shouldn't have to leave where I stand I shouldn't have to change who I am To count as a human mm. Feel my pulse With your hand on my heart You know it beats just as hard as yours Feel my pulse oh. Same as you are, so just feel my pulse. Uh, I wish I could reach them, strip away what separates. Uh, it's the same air we're breathing, same tears run down our face. So I don't have to leave where I stand, and I don't have to change who I am to count as a With your hand on my heart, you know it beats just as hard as yours Feel my pulse uh, Feel my pulse Can't you see that I'm scarred? I'm just the same as you are So just feel my
with your hand on my heart You know it beats just as hard as yours Feel my that brings us to the end of our hour. I'll be back on the fourth Sunday of January with another edition of Outbeat News in Depth. Be sure to tune in next week for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's on New Year's Day night at 8 p.m., only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, happy holidays, and from all of us here on the Outbeat Radio team, we wish you the best in the new year. Good health, happiness, and peace. Thanks for spending your Christmas Day with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond. Did you get a new mobile device, iPad, or tablet as a holiday gift? Well, if so, download the KRCB mobile app right now so you can listen to your favorite KRCB radio programs like Outbeat from anywhere in the world with internet access. The sound is crystal clear, and best of all, the app is absolutely free. It's available now from the Apple and Android App Store. You're listening to KRCB FM Windsor Santa Rosa, Radio 91, online all the time at krcb.org. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Open Space District is next.